This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor says Jared Moskowitz will be resigning as our master of disaster and will be replaced by his deputy, Kevin Guthrie. Jared and Kevin have really led the way, so we thank Jared for his service, and we think Kevin will be able to pick up uh, very nicely. Ron DeSantis had nothing but praise for Moskowitz and nothing but scorn for the new guidance from the CDC about the safe reopening of schools. He says it's all about politics. Because the Democratic Party puts the interests of education unions and special interests ahead of the well-being of our children and of our families. A new coalition of labor and consumer groups is trying to stop the COVID liability immunity bills in the state legislature. The pandemic is still not over. The last thing we should be doing is granting a free pass to any who might make a bad situation even worse. Workers are afraid of this legislation. It's that simple. We are looking at a bill that writes a blank check to businesses and encourages bad behavior in the future. All are being considered by Florida lawmakers and are an overreach at best and a dangerous precedent at worst for a non-existent problem. The Department of Health reported 159 additional fatalities Monday, but only 3,600 new cases of COVID-19. That's the lowest number of new cases since the end of October. New research shows the wealthiest Floridians got a lot richer during the COVID crisis, adding more than $28 billion to their net worth, while essential workers faced unemployment, bankruptcy, and foreclosure. This conversation is not really about billionaires. It's about inequity. Those who already had wealth got more, even during this pandemic economy, while those who were already struggling fell deeper into poverty. Speaking of billionaires, the governor ups the ante in his fight against big tech. He's supporting a new bill that would prevent them from selling your personal data without your permission. The big tech platforms have made privacy an illusion. The truth is Floridians' most intimate information is collected, analyzed, and sold to the highest bidder. State lawmakers hate the idea of gun control, but what about bullet control? Today on the Sunrise interview, Senator Lauren Book talks about her bill requiring background checks to purchase ammo. It's a common sense solution to ensure those who are already legally prohibited from purchasing firearms um, to be able to purchase ammunition to fill those firearms. A new report from the Children's Movement of Florida says businesses that want to attract the best talent have to adopt more family-friendly policies. 60% of working parents had issues with child care that impacted their ability to participate in the workforce. And we know that 80% of the workforce in the United States are parents. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman and her Florida daughter accused of stealing almost $200,000 by setting up fake cosmetic surgery clinics. But first, a word from the sponsor. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. This public health crisis has shown our one-size-fits-all education system does not meet the needs of every child. Senate Bill 48 rethinks education and provides needed flexibility for students and families, giving students the tools and resources they need to unleash their potential. You can make a difference and improve our education system by visiting fledreform.com to tell your lawmaker to support SB 48. Paid for by Americans Prosperity, Florida. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, February 16th. It was on this date in 1861 that Abe Lincoln stopped his train at Westfield, New York, while on his way to Washington so he could thank 11-year-old Grace Beadle in person for her political advice. She had suggested that Lincoln grow a beard to get more votes. 
1923, archaeologist Howard Carter and his team opened the inner burial chamber of Tutankhamun's tomb and found his sarcophagus. This is National Almond Day, National Pancake Day, and the start of Mardi Gras. Florida's master of disaster is moving on. After more than two years dealing with almost every conceivable crisis in the Sunshine State, Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz told the governor he'll be leaving soon because he wants to spend more time with his family. Jared and I discussed it. He's worked incredibly hard. He's done a fantastic job. I think Florida has the best emergency response in the country. I think we've done the best in terms of logistics, both in terms of preparing for responding to storms as well as responding to the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think Jared was a big reason why. I just think the fact it's been two years, he's worked extremely hard and his family's uh, almost a world away in some respects. When you're in Florida, I mean, many of you know, it, Tallahassee down to Broward, it's not like you can just hop on a plane all the time and get down there. It's a long drive and it, and it weighs. So, so he's done well by us. Uh, I told him, I said, they should really make you FEMA director and maybe they will do that someday. Uh, I'd also, since we're asked, uh, we think that um, the, the deputy, Kevin Guthrie, has done a great job. So, so Kevin is going to take, take Jared's spot when Jared is uh, ready to move on. And I have uh, a, a lot of confidence in, in Kevin. He's been fantastic. He's been in the emergency management space for a long time. And uh, it, when we do some of this stuff, I mean, you know, I'll go and, and, and kind of do, we'll do a, a, an event. Oh, we have now vaccines in this part of the state. There's a lot that goes into that, and these guys are getting it done very, very quickly. It's very impressive, and, uh, and Jared and Kevin have really led the way. So we thank Jared for his service, and we think Kevin will be able to pick up uh, very nicely. The governor is also lashing out at the CDC's latest guidelines for reopening schools during the COVID crisis. DeSantis says schools are safe, but the CDC is giving into political pressure from the Democrats. What the CDC put out Five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, I wonder why they would do it then, uh, was quite frankly a disgrace. It would require, if you actually followed that, closing 90% of schools in the United States. Uh, we have been open, they will remain open, uh, and we are not turning back. The school reopening plan that makes the most sense, if you want to open schools, open them. Open the door. Let them come in and let them learn. And the only reason that that is not happening across this country, like it is in Florida, like it is in a handful of other states, it's one reason and one reason only. Because the Democratic Party puts the interests of education unions and special interests ahead of the well-being of our children and of our families. These kids have been out of school in parts of this country for almost a year. And if you follow that CDC guidance, they will not go back in this, this school year, and they may not even go back in the fall. That is a disgrace. That is not science. That is putting politics ahead of what's right for kids. That is putting politics and special interests ahead of what the evidence and observed experience says. The health department reported 159 additional fatalities from COVID Monday. That increases our death toll to 29,434. But there were only 3,600 new cases. That's the lowest one-day total since Halloween. 
A new coalition of labor and consumer groups is trying to stop the legislature from immunizing business from COVID liability lawsuits. Republicans in Tallahassee say they're doing it to protect the health care heroes. But Nurse Vicki Gonzalez at Jackson Health in Miami-Dade says these bills only protect the owners while putting the rest of us at risk. We have lost over 28,000 Floridians to this virus. That's why I was shocked to hear that Florida elected leaders are considering giving blanket immunity to businesses, healthcare providers, and nursing homes from COVID-19 litigation. It's a gift to big business acting irresponsibly during this public healthcare crisis and a slap in the face to those of us working hard on the front lines. It's offensive that lawmakers are thinking not about making frontline workers' jobs easier and safer, or about finding ways to speed up vaccine distribution, but concentrating instead on how to let the most well-funded and well-connected off the hook for intentionally doing the wrong thing. It's even more offensive for lawmakers to claim this legislation shielding reckless and irresponsible companies from accountability somehow protects frontline employees. In fact, the bill would reward businesses and healthcare providers who are careless during the pandemic, and it would discourage employers from being diligent in protecting their patients, customers, and employees. It is disrespectful to the thousands of nurses on the front lines who are working every day to save lives and provide the best care for our patients. It would give free reign to negligent businesses that are knowingly putting their workers or customers' health at risk. This sends a very dangerous message and undermines the importance of continued social distancing, mask wearing, and hand washing, which is needed to save lives. The pandemic is still not over. The last thing we should be doing is granting a free pass to any who might make a bad situation even worse. It's not just healthcare workers. Rich Templin with the Florida AFL-CIO says these immunity bills do nothing to protect your average workers. Our members are scared of this legislation. It's that simple. We are looking at a bill that writes a blank check to businesses and encourages bad behavior in the future. We have negotiating teams all over the state that have been working, trying to work collaboratively with their employers to have some type of safety protocols to make sure that consumers and workers are safe while that business runs their enterprises. If this legislation passes, all of that work is in jeopardy because the business community realizes that the PPE that they didn't wanna pay for, the reduced shifts that they didn't wanna pay for, the extra spacing and distance and everything that the CDC is saying that we should be doing that they didn't wanna pay for, they won't have to and they won't because there will be no accountability for them if their employees or if their consumers get sick or God forbid, pass away from this deadly virus. That's where workers stand on this issue. There are no workers clamoring for this liability blanket, for this this blanket immunity uh, for big businesses and uh, big corporations. Backers of the bills to limit COVID liability claim there will be a flood of lawsuits if their bills don't pass. But Michael Levine says there are good reasons to sue. He represents the family of Gerardo Gutierrez, one of the early victims of COVID-19. Our clients lost their father as a result of Publix having an absurd policy to prohibit its workers from wearing masks and personal protective equipment at the beginning of the pandemic. 
Mr. Gutierrez was a deli worker and he was showing up to work day in and day out to serve our communities when people were scared, when people didn't know where to get the household items that uh, we often take for granted. Meanwhile, Publix's competitors were taking the pandemic seriously. And what we already know from the OSHA complaints that we've uncovered is that Publix made that decision to prohibit masks because they were worried that the masks would scare off customers. We see that in the OSHA complaints. We've had other witnesses come forward and tell us that. And that shameful decision to put profits ahead of the safety of its own workers, that's what's devastated my clients and left them without their father. Ultimately, Publix reversed course, but it was too little too late for Mr. Gutierrez. And to this day, Publix has never taken any responsibility for its misguided decision. And our lawsuit is one of the very few that have been filed, and it's necessary to hold companies who do the wrong thing accountable. That's what our justice system exists for. Legislation that provides immunity sends the absolute wrong message. All it does is serve to give companies a free pass and incentivize cutting corners when it comes to workplace safety. And unfortunately, that's exactly what Publix did. And that's why my clients are without their father today. The people who control the legislature are quite cozy with big business and have a long history of protecting their donors. But Representative Evan Jenny is hoping GOP leaders will help the people who need it most rather than the people with the most money. It is of some importance. Uh, I don't want to sit here and tell you we're all going to get on this hill and die. Uh, for this thing. But I can tell you that um, it does point to the fact that we still aren't seeing a lot of bills uh, that are going to help frontline workers. We aren't seeing a lot of bills that are going to help first responders. We aren't seeing a lot of bills that are going to help average everyday Floridians. If there is uh, some sort of erroneous or egregious behavior in a lawsuit, we believe that those lawsuits will be kicked out of the system and, and not heard based on their merit. This just applies too broad a blanket for everyone. Um, I think it's important that that we drive um, and not even necessarily to defeat this particular bill, but really have a drive when it comes to COVID to enact legislation and policy uh, that are going to improve people who are suffering right now. Uh, there are 22 million Floridians that are suffering, um, some in their each individual own way. Um, so I think we need to pass policy that is going to be best for, for those 22 million uh, and not cherry pick the exact uh, type of people we want to see be winners in this situation uh, and leave out those that we feel like should be losers. Speaking of winners and losers, there's a new report from Americans for Tax Fairness that shows COVID has increased the gap between the haves and the have-nots in Florida. Barbara Devane with the Florida Alliance of Retired Americans says 59 billionaires in the Sunshine State have increased their wealth by more than $28 billion since the pandemic began. This report shows that Florida is a very rich state. It goes into detail to show the gains of the 59 richest Floridians, 59 billionaires in Florida that could cover the state's $3 billion budget shortfall eight times over and still leave them as rich as they were before the pandemic. They've raised a lot of money, increased their wealth during this health crisis in Florida. Karen Woodall at the Florida Center for Fiscal and Economic Policy says there is a reason the billionaires did so well and why we have so many of them here. 
the state does not tax wealth. This conversation is not really about billionaires. It's about inequity. Those who already had wealth got more, even during this pandemic economy, while those who were already struggling fell deeper into poverty, workers just making ends meet, lost jobs, businesses who are struggling closed. So while 59 Florida billionaires did well, the Ford's analysis just reminds us that Florida is not revenue poor. There is significant wealth in this state, both individual and corporate. The reality is Florida does not tax wealth, never has. There's no personal income tax, no estate tax, no corporate income tax on LLCs and S corporations. Only 1% of the profitable corporations even pay the corporate income tax. But Florida does require low and moderate wealth individuals to pay a higher percentage of their income in taxes. That's because more than two thirds of our state budget is based on the sales tax, and that is the most regressive tax that there is. Woodall says Florida needs to modernize its tax structure by doing away with all the loopholes that protect big business and the elite. But, you know, she's been saying that for decades, and state lawmakers have shown very little interest. The system may suck for most people, but it certainly works for them. As lawmakers debate bills to limit lawsuits over COVID-19, the governor and Republican leaders are trying to make it easier to sue big tech companies. Ron DeSantis has announced his support for a new data privacy bill that would upend the fundamental business models at social media giants by saying you have the right to keep your data private. The big tech platforms have created a surveillance economy which enriches those platforms by free riding on consumer data. Worse, the big tech platforms have made privacy an illusion. The truth is Floridians' most intimate information is collected, analyzed, and sold to the highest bidder. But today we look to change what is acceptable in the Sunshine State by shining a light on these practices and by empowering consumers to make decisions about if, how, and where their personal information is used. Under our proposal, companies that want to collect and sell your personal information are going to be required to tell you how they plan to use your personal information in detail. And further, I'm going to make sure that they tell you exactly what they are collecting and recognize that a consumer has a right to decide how their personal information is used. Many of these same companies and online platforms won't give you the ability to, quote, opt out of the collection and sale of your personal information. We will change that by requiring that every Floridian be afforded an option to opt out of that practice without discrimination or retaliation from the company. In Florida, we're going to make sure consumers are in the driver's seat to make that decision, not Silicon Valley or other global companies who are far more focused on their profits than on your privacy. The Consumer Data Privacy Bill is sponsored by freshman representative Fiona McFarland of Sarasota. Senator Lauren Book is asking lawmakers to show their support for the Parkland parents and the survivors of the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School by passing Jamie's Law, which is named for one of the victims. Jamie's Law is something that I am working with uh, Representative Dan Daly on. Um, it was brought to us by one of the parents who lost their daughter um, at the tragedy at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, um, Fred Gutenberg. And what it would do is a background check um, on ammunition sales. 
It's a common sense solution to ensure those who are already legally prohibited from purchasing firearms um, to be able to purchase ammunition to fill those to to fill those firearms. Um, and so it's you know we believe a, a common sense piece here um, that we think would go a long way to keeping um, children and our community safe. Now, it's my understanding that under current law, that there are certain people who are prohibited from purchasing ammunition. Um, people who have, like, violent offenders, mental illness, that sort of problem. But there's really no way for vendors to check there, is it? No, correct. Florida law does not require that vendors run background checks on ammunition purchases. And the bill is aimed at addressing an oversight um, and ensuring that our communities are safe by checking um, to be sure that we're not selling ammunition to those who should not possess it. How about lawmakers who might see this as, as government overreach, as being just a, another form of gun control under a different name? You know, I think that this is actually something that, in, in my opinion, in our opinion, um, that already technically exists within the law. Um, you're not allowed to have those weapons, and you shouldn't have bullets to put in those weapons. Um, to me, this is just kind of closing a loophole, if you will, that uh, we want to make it clear within the law. Now, you've tried this before, have you not? We have, we have. We've, um, we've been working with uh, Mr. Gutenberg um, for a couple of years now since the tragedy of two, two years that we've introduced this bill, and hopefully um, this year we can, um, we can move, it, move it a little bit further along. Do you have any sense at all that there's a change in the legislature that they would be more amenable to this sort of thing? Because really the, the Republicans who control the show haven't had much sympathy with this sort of issue recently. You know, I think that this is an issue that when you talk to people, um, Democrat or Republican, it seems to make sense. Um, when, you, when you talk about how you know, we're not currently under the law, these individuals aren't allowed to have these type of weapons, should they not be able to not also have the ammunition to fill those weapons? And I think that it makes sense. I think that we're in a time where um, we're a little bit hyper-partisan sometimes, um, but I do think that these are some of those conversations, and in light of the anniversary of this tragedy, um, we've done a tremendous amount and honoring the amount that we've done, um, but really uh, we have still a long way to go. Sunday was the third annual shooting at Parkland. One of the top priorities for the Florida Chamber this year is workforce development. Madeline Kakur, president of the Children's Movement of Florida, says the key to attracting talent is to take better care of their kids. She's urging companies to adopt more family-friendly employment policies. Some of the, the basics are paid leave, um, paid time off in general, or paid leave for new parents, health insurance, flexibility. You know, these are some things that have been offered more in the COVID era when you've got more employees working remotely, um, you've got um, more flexible scheduling that's being allowed as employers know that families are balancing childcare and or schooling with their jobs. Um, and, and some other things might be uh, backup childcare assistance or on-site childcare for the part-time workforce. It might be predictable scheduling, having notice of your schedule in advance so that you can arrange for childcare. COVID has complicated everything because so many people are still working out of their homes or learning remotely. But Madeline Kakur says the lack of family-friendly policies was a problem even before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, 44% of parents were saying that childcare issues caused productivity-related issues at work. During the pandemic, that's jumped to 65%. So we know that 
uh, understanding the the balance that working parents are facing is is going to help get them back into their jobs. The the other thing to know, and this is even before the pandemic, is sixty um, percent of parents had issues with childcare that impacted their ability to participate in the workforce or uh, stopped them from taking a promotion. We know that. 60% of working parents had issues with child care that impacted their ability to participate in the workforce. And we know that 80% of the workforce in the United States are parents. We know that to get labor participation up to where it needs to be, to get that workforce strong in Florida, we, we need to take care of working parents. The Children's Movement in Florida is hosting a webcast at 1230 today to talk about the findings of their study and the implications for business. You'll find the deets at childrensmovementflorida.org. Still to come, your calendar of events and Florida Man, or in this case, two Florida women. But first, another sponsor joins the Sunrise Podcast. In Florida, if you fall behind on court debt payments, the state takes away your driver's license. But if you can't drive, you can't work. So how can you make enough money to pay the debt? This policy makes no sense. Let's end debt-based license suspensions and help Florida get back to work. Welcome back to Sunrise and your calendar of events. At 9, the Senate Children, Families, and Elder Affairs Committee takes up a bill making a series of changes in the child welfare system. The Senate Criminal Justice Committee meets at 9 to hear a bill to increase criminal penalties for committing assault or battery against people who work or volunteer at hospitals. At 10, the House Early Learning and Elementary Ed Subcommittee takes up a bill requiring moments of silence each day in public schools. The House Professions and Public Health Subcommittee receives a presentation at 10 about the effects of high-potency marijuana. Bring your own popcorn. At 12.30, the Senate Regulated Industries Committee takes up a bill giving the state regulatory authority over vacation rental properties and preventing local restrictions. The House Higher Education Appropriations Sub holds a workshop at 1 to talk about funding for the university system. Also at 1, the House Justice Appropriations Sub will hear about inmate health services. At 3.30, the Senate Transportation Committee takes up a bill requiring any child under the age of 7 to be in a car seat or a booster seat. The current age is 6. And at 4, the House Judiciary Committee takes up a bill to help shield businesses from lawsuits related to COVID-19. Finally today, prosecutors say a Florida woman and her Florida daughter set up fake cosmetic surgery clinics and stole almost $200,000 from a bank that paid them for medical services they never provided. 69-year-old Jean Barbara LeClerc of New Smyrna Beach and 49-year-old Lisa Searson of Geneva are accused of creating five fake businesses using fictitious info and listing Searson's dead grandmother as the person signing documents when she registered the businesses with the state. Mom has already served six years for wire fraud and still owes more than $4 million in restitution in the previous case. The daughter was sentenced to five years for fraud back in 2008 and is still on probation. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 